It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, welcome to the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. We are through the 2022 season, as insane as that is to think, and alongside, virtually, if not literally, Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Ron. Sam, how are you? What's going on? I, I'm good, Tyler. Yeah, we are officially through all of the, the minor league season um, because of some scheduling stuff. We're recording this on Wednesday, which is the last day of the major league regular season, game 162 for everybody. Um, so it's a little bittersweet to see that go by. We have the actual major league postseason to talk about, and we'll do that a little bit later here in this first segment. Uh, it's both an exciting time because you know the playoffs are coming and Aaron Judge just hit homer number 62 and lots of discussion on that, none of which we will be having because it's a minor league show. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot of baseball in the air, but there's also like a lot of teams that are just no longer playing tomorrow. Um, it's it's kind of all over. We still have the Arizona Fall League. That's, that's just going this week and we'll dive into more of that um, as that really gets going. We previewed that a little bit last week. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird feeling on on day or game one sixty two day, uh, just knowing that all this is, excitement is still to come. But for a lot of people, it's over today. Yeah, it is pretty crazy, and uh, we're excited to to watch the MLB playoffs. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, as we get further along in this week's episode. Uh, but thanks for tuning in wherever you have found us. You can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. And as noted, we have wrapped everything up, which means that we have crowned champions in the AAA Pacific Coast League, International League, and the AAA level itself through the AAA Triple Championship in Las Vegas. This was cool. It was really neat to watch this event from afar um, and what it entailed for the four teams that traveled to Las Vegas, the two that made it through for the, the AAA National Championship. Um, Sam, you were a little bit closer to this event, getting to watch it, um, you know, as uh, as it happened in real time. I was occupied with World Baseball Classic stuff. But give us your reaction to the first edition of the AAA Triple Championship. Yeah, so uh, first off, our thanks to Kelsey Hannigan, who find all coverage there on these games. Um, but when we were talking about this last week, Tyler, and, and we threw in some predictions, I I was one of three, which in baseball terms is good, but not really in in a prediction sense. Um, I, I did call that Reno was going to beat El Paso. Brandon fought pitching in that game. Did not necessarily call Jake Hager, who was the PCL MVP, and Las Vegas native going off in that game for Reno. Uh, it led to a call up to the D back. So big week for him, for Jake Hager. Reno beat El Paso six to two on the PCL side. On the IL side, I wish I could go back a week and shake myself and say, why were you not believing in the Durham Bulls? The Durham Bulls, year in and year out, feel like they're con- 
contending for a title of some sort, whether it's the IL title, whether it's the old AAA national championship, whether it was last year at the AAA final stretch, which was a competition that was kind of made up for the last two weeks of the season. The Durham Bulls are always competitive. They're always going for a ring of some sort. And they just dominated Nashville in the IL title game, 13 to nothing, setting up the AAA national championship game itself which was a real humdinger of a game. Durham had a comeback win. They were losing going into the ninth inning. They end up winning 10-6 to over Reno uh, to win their AAA National Championship. Tyler, just looking back at the recent history of the Bulls, you go back to 2007, they were IL runners up that year. They were IL runners up in 2008. AAA champions in 2009, IL runners up in 2010, IL champions in 2013. I could keep going, but they can... It's again, year in and year out from 2017 to 2019, they were either triple A champions, IL champions, or IL runners up. 2020, we didn't have anything. Last year, they won the triple A final stretch. And this year, they won the triple A national championship again. Uh, you know, Jim Callis said this, one of our colleagues. It's as if the Rays have a really deep system and really value winning. They continue to do oh, this. It's almost, almost like, like they do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mentioned this on the show a couple of weeks back. Charleston won their league title. Uh, Bowling Green won their league title. Montgomery didn't win a league title, but was in the playoffs still in the Southern League. Uh, the FCL Rays lost in their championship series, but again, were competitive uh, in a postseason, even at the complex level. The Rays know how to win at the minors, and you know they are in the postseason at the major league level now too. It hasn't translated to World Series success yet, but what has the Rays thing always been? It's been picking your matchups, developing guys internally, either trading them off for major league ready pieces or making them into potential superstars like a Wander Franco or Randy Rosarena was acquired from the Cardinals, but was developed by the Rays to become, you know, an all-star rookie of the year. Shane McClanahan is a Cy Young contender. He was drafted by the Rays. Um, so this system of theirs really seems to really work. And they have another big piece of that puzzle with a triple A national championship, locking that in last weekend in Las Vegas. So it was really fun to follow from afar. Uh, this is a format I hope we see more of going forward. It was kind of cool to have everybody in one place, make it almost like an all-star game level event. Uh, maybe people will hear more about this, get to know it a little bit better. You can't beat Vegas as a place to spend a long weekend. Um, so we'll see what this means for for the event going forward. But it was a lot of fun to watch. And congrats to the, Dur to the Durham Bulls for their third AAA national championship since 2009. Pretty amazing stuff uh, from the Durham Bulls. And um, we have, as noted, arrived at the end of the minor league season, which means that we are seeing some of the final trickle of top prospects at the big league level. And the biggest name among those is a guy who was promoted right after we finished recording last week. Francisco Alvarez goes up to the New York Mets, a top catching prospect in baseball, a guy who we've been really excited about for the last couple of years. And I know the Mets fans are in meltdown mode at the moment after the series in Atlanta, but man, he is such an exciting prospect and uh, somebody who really adds a new dimension to that lineup potentially going forward. Still very young, but could be on that postseason roster. Sam, what have you seen from Francisco Alvarez since he's gone up and what do you anticipate over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, it was really interesting to see that they called him up when they called him up because they called him up just in time for the Mets to face the Braves in Atlanta with the NL East title on the line, the Mets get swept. Now the Braves are in the driver's seat. We know now that the Braves have clinched the NL East, so it didn't quite go to plan. But here's a 20-year-old 
who you know battled some injuries at Triple A Syracuse, but got hot when he came back from his ankle injury. Um, has plus plus power, has some of the best raw power in all of minor league baseball, and the Mets have had a giant hole in terms of right-handed hitting DHs. You know, they tried Darren Ruff, they acquired him in in the trade deadline, they brought up Mark Vientos. Those guys aren't filling the problem. You bring up Alvarez, he's his ceiling is greater than those two guys easily. That's why we have him as the number one overall prospect. But he's a 20-year-old kid who's now all of a sudden taking major league at bats against Max Freed, who you know is a, a Cy Young contender himself, a World Series champion. Kenley Jansen, uh, he got some at bats against, or he got an at bat against him, and you know he's a World Series caliber closer. Uh, it's tough to be thrown into the fire like that. Started out 0 for 8. I know there were some people questioning, like, oh, should he have really been up the whole time? Then on Tuesday night, his first major league hit. Guess what? It's a home run. 439 feet um, showed off the power that we all expected him to have coming into the season um, that he showed at double a Binghamton that he showed at Syracuse. Uh, he had two hard hit balls in that game last night. One was at 108.9 miles per hour off the bat. The other was 107.8 miles an hour off the bat for a double. Uh, so, you know, Francisco Alvarez, as always is going to hit the bar ball hard. That is his deal. And he's making the adjustment. The homer came on a breaking ball uh, from C.J. Edward, uh, Carl Edwards Jr., Nationals pitcher, Nationals right-hander. So a lot of people thought Alvarez was coming up just to face lefties. He showed he can face righties as well. Um, if I'm the Mets, I'm considering him for the postseason roster. I would add him there. Again, because when he does make contact, it's probably better than Ruff. It's probably better than Vientos. Both of those guys have struggled in recent months. I would even like to see them get or give him some looks at catcher. That's a difficult assignment, uh, but it's not like James McCann or Tomas Nito have been major assets for the Mets this year. You need Alvarez's bat in the lineup. Um, so it was fun to see him finally hit the ball hard here. I think he's somebody who's always shown an ability to adjust to the level that he's at. If he's already doing that at the major league level, he's could take off in the playoffs as well. Um, you don't need that added pressure of making him like a cleanup hitter, hit him seventh, hit him eighth, whatever. Um, but I think he, he's definitely a better right-handed option than some of the other ones that the Mets are considering. Final strike for our de facto three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Big league playoffs uh, starting on Friday. Perhaps by the time you hear this, we will already be into game one uh, of the wild card series, the American and National League. Different playoff format this year, of course. Three wild card teams on each side. They will play uh, each other slash the worst record among division winners here in 2022. Um, but Sam, there are so many guys who we have watched over the last several years who have made their prospect graduations and now really are going to get a chance to, to showcase their skills uh, on the national stage for, in some cases, kind of the first time. You know, Julio Rodriguez doesn't get a ton of, of big league uh, national coverage when it comes to actual live game action. Um, who else are you excited to watch? Julio obviously is our dude. We have loved him for a long time, but who else is on your radar uh, among recent or current or former graduated prospects who you're most excited to see? Yeah. I mean, it, just as an aside, it was super exciting to see the Mariners break through for to the pro season um, clinch their spot as a wild card team. They'll be facing Toronto uh, in Toronto for the the wild card. But yeah, getting Julio Rodriguez now that he's back healthy, dealt with some injury problems down the stretch. Um, but this, you know, it, the home run derby was essentially his like 
coming out party or getting everybody to know him uh, party, but he's a big piece of that Mariners team. He's a big reason why they are going to the postseason for the first time in decades. So definitely going to keep an eye on him. Um, you look at the Atlanta Braves, who we won't see until the NLDS round, but Michael Harris the second, and Spencer Strider are going to finish 1-2 in the NL Rookie of the Year uh, vote by the time that comes out. I'm guessing that Harris is probably going to win over Strider just because he's such a solid everyday player. But, man, it's been fun to watch both of those guys. Strider starting out the year as a reliever, moving into the rotation, being almost as dominant as anybody in the NL, despite him being a first-year player. Uh, Michael Harris, second, jumping from double A, becoming their everyday center fielder. And I mean that in every sense of both words. He's a really quality Defensive center fielder, we knew that, but the bat has taken off especially well this year for Atlanta as as well. It's a big reason why they were able to eclipse the Mets. Um, just getting Harris even more comfortable with that team down the stretch I think was huge. I don't think the moment's going to be too big for him. That's something we talk about with rookies is, yeah, you can be really good during the regular season. Now all of a sudden the playoffs are here. Every game is huge. How are you going to react? Well, Spencer Strider and Michael Harris the second have been with this Braves team all year long. They're the defending World Series champions. Every game they play has a big target on their back. So I don't think they're going to shrink away from that. Um, one other I want to throw out real quick. Cleveland Guardians are playing the Rays in the three versus six matchup over on the AL side. Stephen Kwan has been a revelation this year for the Cleveland Guardians. Um, we knew him coming into the year as being somebody who makes a lot of contact, who is fast. Could be maybe a top-of-the-lineup guy, just not a ton of impact. His power grew a little bit in 2021, um, but you know, he, some places had him as a top 100 prospect. We didn't think he was going to quite be there. And then you look at where he's going to finish in the AL Rookie of the Year voting. He's probably going to finish third, right behind Adley Rutschman and Julio Rodriguez. I think Julio's going to win it. Rutschman's going to come second. Stephen Kwan, arguably a gold glove outfielder, um, perfect addition to the top of that lineup for Cleveland because of his contact ability, because of his ability to move around the bases. Um, that's, you know, the, the guardians, I don't want to say quietly that they won their division. I don't think that's necessarily possible, but you look at who else is playing in the AL. The Astros have been a juggernaut all year. There's been obviously a tons of coverage on the New York Yankees and their ups and downs and, and their ways back up. Uh, the Toronto blue Jays are always somebody that, People are paying attention to because of Lad Jr., because Alec Manoa and Bobachette and that young core that they have. The Guardians kind of quietly, Andres Jimenez has been really good this year. Um, Jose Ramirez continues to be Jose Ramirez. They have Shane Bieber at, as you know an, an ace level type guy. The Guardians could make some noise, and Stephen Kwan's going to be right in the middle of that. So, games start on Friday in the Major League postseason, and uh, that brings us to the end of Three Strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. We are so excited for our interview guests this week. Our nationwide, our nationwide Road to the Show ambassadors, Anthony Volpe joined us first. Jack Leiter uh, overcame some uh, a little phone issue to, to get on with us. Uh, in the first few minutes of our conversation, but we had so much fun talking with these two guys who grew up together, former high school teammates, now a couple of top 50 prospects in the game of baseball. Anthony Volpe from the New York Yankees and Jack Leiter from the Texas Rangers join the show next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, we are super excited to be joined on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast by the number five overall prospect in baseball and a guy who made all kinds of headlines this year throughout a couple of stops in the New York Yankees organization. Anthony Volpe joins us uh, from home in New Jersey. Anthony, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's so good to talk to you. We, you know, throughout the season, we talked about you so much. Uh, and now to have you at the at the close of this season um, is really cool. It's, you know, you get to start in pro ball in 2019. 2020, obviously, is a bizarre season um, and lack of season on the minor league side. But over the last two years now, you've really gotten to get into the, the rhythm and the flow of a professional baseball career. And this year, you make it up to AAA. And, um the excitement that surrounds your development and the things that you accomplished this year. Now that you're a few days removed from it, what does it feel like looking back on this 2022 season? Yeah, thanks so much for that. But I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I was super grateful to have the season that I had. And to, like you said, my development has been, I don't know if it's always been linear just with all the crazy things that have gone on in the world, but um I think this season I learned a ton about myself and there's so many people and so many coaches that um, and support staff and everything that helped me throughout the year and all the ups and downs. But um, like I said, I mean, there were a lot of ups and downs and at the end of the day, when I look back and reflect on it, I'm super grateful to have experienced those um, because I think they're very much part of my development. Failure is um, really part of my development. I learned a lot about myself as a player and the person to just, um, persevering through stuff like that and being able to get through that and and just try and help the team win any way I could. Yeah, we want to get into that a little bit in a in a second here, but um, you brought up you learned a, b- a lot about yourself this year, moving from Double A to Triple A, now knocking on the door of the Bronx. What do you feel like you learned most about yourself? I think just having confidence in myself that um, after a slow start and getting off, to obviously you work super, super hard in the off season and you want to see results right away. Like anyone does to just knowing that I, I didn't really change anything about my approach, about my routine, about anything. So it just like looking back gives me a lot of confidence knowing that um, I could go through um, failure and not getting the immediate results. But as long as I stick to the process and stick to what I feel like makes me be successful, that, um, I don't really have to change. And to me, that gave me even more confidence that I was able to go through that mentally and still come out the other side and be able to, um, like I said, impact the game. Well, uh, so pumped to be joined by the number five prospect in baseball. Hoping to be joined momentarily as well by the number 45 prospect in baseball, Jack Leiter, uh, who was on the call for a moment uh, and and dipped out just now. But we're hoping to get Leiter back here momentarily. Anthony, when you look back and to have the perspective that like the failure is the thing that helps you progress the most, um, you know, development is so rarely linear. Um, that's such a mature thing to be able to have already in your mindset 
you know, being somebody who is at the dawn of your career and is 21 years old, um, where do you think that, that that came from for you to kind of be able to embrace the fact that like, yeah, this isn't always going to be easy, but I'm not going to get super down on the fact that things don't go well constantly. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely probably like in the moment, it's, it's definitely tough to kind of put in perspective, but I, I was, like I said, I'm super lucky to have, um, like, I, I mean, I was home for most of the year, so I had family that was always there that always helped me just just throughout the season, just take my mind off stuff and help me, like you said, put things in perspective. But I, I'm super grateful and blessed to be part of an organization like the Yankees where it's everything's first class and, and they're they're there to help you develop. Like, like I said, I mean, we want to win every single day and we did win a lot this year, but at the end of the day, we just want to become the best baseball players we, we possibly can so we can help the Yankees um, eventually win a world series and, and help impact them that way. But, um, regardless of anything that was happening on a nightly basis in the games, the goal was always to, to improve. And I felt like there was a lot of these this season where the stereotypical results weren't there, but I felt like I was definitely improving and working on my objectives and, 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 and improving in, in any way there was. So, um, I always thought that the season was, the success even even at the beginning when it wasn't necessarily going the way I wanted to but um like I said I mean I was super fortunate to have a lot of family and a lot of support support there throughout the whole year well we are pleased to be joined by uh, a guy who you know extremely well and played some high school ball with at Del Barton School in Morristown New Jersey as Jack Leiter joins us as well the number 45 prospect in baseball uh for you two guys Got to be pretty cool. I mean, imagining uh, watching a high school teammate doing the things that you guys are both doing has got to be amazing. Jack, you got us, man. Welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for giving us some time. Yes, thank you so much. I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, I'm out no here. I'm out here at uh, at Vanderbilt taking classes, and I was actually <laughs> I was meeting with the professor, and I was thinking 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Nashville time. That's uh, I'm really sorry. I feel bad. <laughs> No problem. Well, first off, Anthony mentioned to us that you were taking classes. What is the, uh, I mean, first off, what's like the study load like? What are you taking classes in? What was the, the professor meeting today? And secondly, going from like baseball mindset back into the academic mindset, how is that transition right now? Um, yeah, I mean, the class load is, I think it's a good way to, it's a good way to keep myself busy, keep myself on a routine and uh, I was originally in five classes, a full a full course load for this fall. And being in the end of the season, we made a little playoff run. That was a little bit tough. So I, I ended up dropping it down to four, which is which is, uh, I think, much more manageable for me in the offseason. And it allows me to focus, you know, as as much and more on on baseball than I than I uh, even want to. So it gives me a lot more time to, you know, focus on focus on making improvements in, in, uh, in that way. And Jack, we were talking to Anthony about this a minute ago, but um, what was your biggest takeaway from the 2022 season? Because for Anthony, he had been in minor league baseball for a few years now, had that kind of foundation set. This was your introduction to a full season of ball. You get immediately thrown into double A Frisco where you played all season. Um, now that there's been a little bit of time between the end of the season and where you are now, how do you kind of look back on what 2022 was for you? Yeah, I'm I'm really grateful for for 2022 as a whole, and uh, it numbers wise was obviously nowhere near nowhere near what what I've 
what I've wanted to and what I know I'm capable of doing and what I've done in the past. But I really am grateful for, for all that I've learned. And I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about pro ball and I think I'll be better for it in the long run. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for, for what the future holds. Yeah. And I'll ask you the same thing I asked Anthony too, then you say you learned a lot about yourself. What do you feel like is the biggest thing that, you know, you learned about yourself or something you're doing differently now or didn't expect to be doing now uh, compared to, you know, where you were in March and April? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it came down to a matter of managing workload, getting, getting to pro ball. I, uh, I would say shifting from amateur baseball at Vanderbilt, which is obviously it's as close to professional as, as you could probably get in terms of, you know, the facilities, the, the coaching and everything it's, it's, um, you know, first class stuff, but getting to pro ball, it becomes, obviously it's your job now. So for me at times that meant, uh, I needed to do more and I ended up doing, I think a little bit too much. And I honestly overworked myself and I was always trying to, trying to work on things. And I just had to take a step back and relax. And, and now being apart from the season for, a couple of weeks now I've, I've kind of come to realize that. And I think it would have been nice, obviously to realize it earlier, but there's a, there's a long career ahead to um, keep learning things and tweaking things. And, and that's the beauty of it. All right. Well, now I want to bring you guys in together here. We've, we talked to you both separately on this pod, but you guys, as Tyler mentioned, go way back as Jersey boys, um, now you're both in, in pro ball. And not only that, like we said, you were both at double a this season. You're essentially getting close to the majors. How much are you guys talking to each other in season? Like, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm not working on. How much is it just checking in as friends? Like what is your communication level when you're one of you is in Frisco, Texas, the other one is in Somerset, New Jersey. Um, what was that like this year as you guys were both getting your pro careers going? Yeah, for, well, I don't know how Jack – I just feel like we obviously checked in throughout the season, but when we talked, it wasn't necessarily um, really too much about baseball, which I thought was cool. We It was really awesome to see him and and the rest of the family at the Futures game and experience that together, which was probably a baseball memory I'll have forever. But um, I think that's what makes our relationship and a bunch of relationships with all our friends cool is that – we obviously root for each other and follow each other, but at the end of the day, we're, we're friends and we're going to talk about stuff outside of the baseball. And I think that helps me at least just um, compartmentalize everything and put everything in perspective. Yeah. And I, I would go off of that and I would say it's nice to always have somebody there who, you know, through baseball, but also through life has been there since before all of this kind of developed and, we were just high schoolers and honestly middle schoolers going into high school, kind of going through all that together. I think that's a really cool thing to have. And like he said, it's not always about baseball and that's kind of honestly really nice. But when it is about baseball, I think there's a lot to learn. We're both in different leagues across the country and um, seeing different things, playing in different circumstances, and we can kind of bounce some things off each other. So it's a really cool thing to have. Jack, Anthony mentioned the the Futures game, and I want to hear from both you guys on this. Um, you know, being a, a memory that you'll get to 
you know, carry forward, like Anthony said, forever. What was that like, you know, seeing somebody that you've known for so long and the two of you get to be on that stage? And obviously, you know, the the anticipation is that uh, we're going to see you guys on bigger stages for a long time. But the Futures game is really like that first major event uh, in the professional ranks you can get to be a part of. To share that with somebody that you've known for so much of your life, um, Jack, you first, what was that experience like uh, having an opportunity to to be there with somebody and and look back and think like, man, we got here together. This is pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was a really special moment. Kind of one of those where you can, you can take a step back and, and just reflect on how far we've both come and, and uh, the fact that it kind of came full circle and we were in the same uniform. Uh, we didn't get to, we didn't get to play in the same inning. I think he, uh, he came out of the game, the inning before I, I ended up throwing, which we were a little bummed about, but um, yeah, I mean, the fact that, we were able to do something like that in a, a stadium as, as famous as, as Dodger stadium. It was, it was really special. I think um, for the both of us and for our families, just to get to see that and, and see us playing together again. There's something extra special about the fact that you get to do it in Hollywood too. Um, Anthony, when you, uh, you know, got to have that opportunity and you come out, you know, right before Jack gets into the game and all that, but there, I would imagine is just like a different feel to it that you guys are getting to do this in Los Angeles at Dodger stadium, uh, the atmosphere and sharing that with a guy who you played on high school fields with in New Jersey. How cool was that for you? Yeah. I mean, like everything Jack said, it was, it was a once in a lifetime experience, but at the same time, I feel like most most of my gr- greatest baseball memories is of playing and like we we're talking about playing for team USA and playing in high school state championships, stuff like that. It was honestly, it felt like old times. And it's like I said, most of my best baseball memories, he was on my team. So to do that and to do it on the stage, like Jack said, at, at Dodger stadium was um, obviously awesome for myself, but awesome to experience together. And guys, you mentioned, you know, winning high school championships together and, and competing on an international stage when you guys were separate this year in, at double a um, Jack, your Frisco Rough Riders team just won a Texas League title. Anthony, you got called up to Scranton Wilkes-Barre uh, just before the double a season ended. But your Somerset Patriots, who you were with for much of the year, also won an Eastern League title. So both of you get rings for this year. Um, you know, how important is that to establish that level of winning at the minor league level? I know people like to get caught up in individual development, but Jack, starting with you first, you know, what, how important was it for you to start off your career with a Texas league title in the books? Yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. And it's like I said, the, the individual, um, statistics were just not what I was, um, expecting out of my first year and it wasn't anything to, you know, panic about. And it's just something that I can look back on and learn from and continue to work on. But from a team perspective, I couldn't have asked for much more. Um, the Rangers organization is obviously the only one I've been a part of, but I can't imagine it being much, much better than that. Um, much better run. And, um, some of the personnel, the coaching staff and, and the teammates, it was, it was a really special year. And to, to win that, to win that ring is, is also extremely special. Um, I understand that in, in our organization, it, it hasn't really been done at an affiliate level in, in um, quite some time. So uh, that was, that was really special. I got to, um, I was lucky enough to be on some winning teams with Anthony in high school with USA. So we have a, we have a couple rings together from that, but the fact that we're both getting one and um, at this level in the double a level this year is also really special.
and Anthony, we were talking about this before we started recording, but again, you were with Scranton Wilkesbury, but you were coming home. You were going back to the New Jersey area just in time for Somerset to clinch. You got to enjoy the win with those guys afterwards. Uh, does it mean a little bit more to you that it was the Somerset Patriots? It used to be an independent ball team, but a team right in your backyard, that's the team you get your first pro title with? Yeah, definitely. I think the Somerset Patriots, um, they mean so much to the community. And um, I know Mr. Calford passed away before he was ever really able to watch the Patriots become a Yankees affiliate. But just to know how much it means for the family, the Calford family, and and like I said, the rest of the community was was amazing because it was in a way the community I grew up in. So um, to do it for, like I said, all the people that live in the area and then also um, we worked so hard with the guys on the team and the whole coaching staff was there every single day up until even before spring training, just working with us. And um, like I, like we, we've said, I mean, the goal is always for development, but I think that's a big misconception about the minor leagues is that we really, really wanted to win. And every single night we were going out there to compete and to, to try and win the games. And um, for it to come to fruition to, like you said, end off with a, with a ring and, and for the way they did it in the championship series and the whole playoffs. And then obviously to cap it off with a 15, nothing, no hitter was <laughs> I think the perfect culmination of how the season went. We're obviously uh, at some point going to see you guys uh, squaring off with each other at a, uh, a big league ballpark in the not too distant future. So we're going to start with you, Jack, if you're facing Anthony, what is the scouting report on uh, how you try to attack somebody that talented in the box? Uh, and then, Anthony, we're going to get the scouting report from you on Jack. Jack, you go first. Hey, give it to yeah, me, Jack. I, I got my pen and paper here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think with a hitter like Anthony, um, with how talented he is and how quickly he can make adjustments, I don't really think there is a set scouting report. I think it kind of depends on – you know, not just the week, not just the game, but the at-bat. I think you can make at-bat to at-bat adjustments. So it really is tough to, you know, pencil in one thing, like, you know, slider down and away because I've seen him hit sliders down and away. Fastball's in, I've seen him turn on those. So I really think it's just it's just mixing up your pitches, being unpredictable, and um, trying to keep him off balance because that's that's the best you can do with a hitter like that. All right, Anthony, on the other side, if you're facing Jack, you know how talented he is. Um, what do you, what do you try to do to counter what a pitcher that talented can do to attack you? Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, everyone always asks me, but I I always say, I think Jack's the best pitcher ever faced, but part of that goes to, I mean, we probably have, um, probably maybe close to over a hundred at bats against each other. That might be a little much, but, but every time I face him, it feels like he always gets better. So um, for me, I think he has probably the most electric fastball I've ever faced and trying to get ready for that. And then he has, I think his curveball is probably the same thing. One of the best I faced. So, um, for a hitter, I mean, that's a tough, those are two really to have two plus plus pitches is really tough to cover. But, um, for me, if I, <laughs> I, 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 I always say I try to not miss the fastball against him and I, I'd always have to make a couple adjustments to get to his compared to um, an above, even an above average fastball. I have to make even adjustments off of that, but to have 
those two plus plus pitches, and I know he's always working on other stuff, is is super tough to handle as a hitter. When you guys were in school together, did you talk about the possibility that one day you could be in the big leagues together? I mean, that's like it's literally every kid's dream uh, in some respect to like one day I'm going to be this professionally. One day I'm going to be that professionally. You guys get to grow up with close friends who you may reach your dreams together. Did you guys talk about that much when you were actually in school? Um, I can go first on that one. Uh, I mean, I don't know if directly talking about being in the big leagues and, you know, the, the cool idea of facing each other or even playing with each other really comes up because honestly, I think both of us like to take, take things, you know, as short term as possible, taking it one day at a time, how we could get better, how we can make each other better. And at the time we were both committed to Vanderbilt and, we were really looking forward to that and, yeah. and seeing how that would play out. And then we kind of went, we kind of went separate paths there. And now it seems like, you know, maybe they'll collide sometime soon. And that that's a really cool thing too. But again, I think we just, we kind of took things, you know, one day at a time. So talking about something like that's really cool, but um, the only way to make it happen is, is get better every day. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't really can even remember if we, um, talked about professional baseball, even when it was getting close to the draft too, too much, but it was always like Jack said, it was um, playing together at Vandy and then doing stuff like trying to make team USA. And it was always, um, or make the all American game, stuff like that. It was always super short term and we just wanted to do everything we could to make those short term goals be accomplished. And then obviously um, the main goal our senior year was to win the state championship, which we were able to do, but it was always, I think that's what even to this day makes what I like to do. Just keep a lot of short-term goals and then work as hard as you can to, to achieve those. And then whatever happens down the road, um, it's all kind of fell into place up to this point. So not worrying about that too, too much. So that's what I do. But like, as a normal person, mine are like, I'm going to wake up and have a good sandwich today. And you guys are like, I'm going to, I'm going to get closer and closer to the big leagues. <laughs> Um, Anthony, I'll let you take this one first. Um, when when you guys were in school together, what do you think you learned um, from your high school days that you still sort of throw back to today? Like, what's a lesson that you've taken with you um, that you feel like is still something that's kind of a guiding principle or helps you in pro ball? I think a lot of – we went to Del Barn, which was a super academic and oriented high school. And a lot of the people that are Jack and I's friends in our friend group were – super driven and self-motivated and and into their own thing. So I think what a lot of that taught me was just who you surround yourself with and and the people that you're around really influences the decisions you make and how disciplined you're able to be. So I think going from obviously Del Barton had such a good group of people that you could be around. There wasn't really many too bad people to be around with just the level of freedom that you have in pro ball and the different guys you get exposed to. I think just knowing the type of people that I wanted to be around helped me a lot and, and going forward really helps just um, keeps me around good people that help push me and help me become my best. That is really cool. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I would say it's a similar, a similar kind of thing. Um, I think from, from that young age of high school, that's, obviously a really important time in, in anyone's life. And I think being at a place like Del Barton, 
where everybody really had their own goals and they were really committed to them, whether it was baseball or um, in the classroom or, or elsewhere. Um, so again, being around awesome people, but, but for me, I would say it was more about buying into buying into teammates and that really ended up helping yourself individually in the end. And I think that's important and that's kind of stressed at, at Del Barton. And then further that it's really stressed at Vanderbilt as well is the team. And I think that's something that's super important and, and, um, not that it can get lost in pro ball sometimes, but obviously in the minor leagues, everybody is trying to get to the big leagues. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but the whole, the whole idea of, of trying to win a ring together is, is uh, a really special thing. And, and I do feel like the more that you can buy into, into your teammates and, and um, you know, support them in their successes and, and uh, cheer them on and be their biggest cheerleaders. I think, I think it makes you, it makes you all the better in the end. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I learned at Del Barton. Guys, we've got a few more for you and we're going to let you get out of here um, to, to be, you know, at the tail end of this season now and wrapping things up, you know, Anthony gets a chance to play so close to home and, and Jack to see uh, somebody that you're such good friends with have that experience. Was that pretty cool for you? You're, you know, across the country and pitching in the Texas league and, um, and getting a, a different flavor of minor league baseball um, seeing Anthony do it, you know, an hour and a half drive from home or whatever it is. How cool was that? And were you like, Oh yeah, I could have gone for that too. Would that have been pretty cool for you? Yeah, that that's uh, I think that's on, honestly almost everyone's everyone's dream is is to be close to home and and have have loved ones and and friends and and everyone you care about be able to come to some games. I think that's that's a really awesome thing. And, and I I was lucky enough to have my dad come to um a, a couple different home weeks in one road series, so that that's always fun. And my mom came out once or twice, and a couple of my sisters as well. So um, I was lucky to have you know, really good supporting cast um, traveling out to Texas to come watch me. But obviously I would have liked it for their, for their case. If, if they only had to travel you know, 30 minutes instead of get on a plane. But I think that is uh, that's a really cool thing. And, and I was happy for him. One question kind of picking back off what I was saying before about scouting reports and, and facing each other. Um, you have all the, these moments sometimes where guys who have known each other for a long time face each other, one a pitcher, one a hitter. Uh, have you guys given any thought to what that moment would be like? Like how you would react to each other? Would there be a smirk? Would you not look at each other in the eye? I have always competitors? wondered this. This is a yeah. great question. I've always wondered this. Guys who actually get to see somebody that they know, like how do you not crack up? When you look out at the map, there's like you're in Yankee Stadium, Jack's on the mound. Like how do you not crack up? What, uh, yeah, how, uh, yeah. Anthony, we'll start with you. What, what do you think your reaction is going to be like in that moment, if and when it comes? Um, I don't know if in the moment I would necessarily do anything. I know um, I'm pretty, like, not blacked out, but I, I don't really know what I do during the games. I can't really necessarily even, like, hear fans or stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know if there would be any on-field stuff. But after the game, obviously, it would obviously be amazing. But um, – I don't really know if I could even predict or say what I would do because I don't really know. Jack, what about you? What do you think that moment's going to be like? Yeah, honestly, I think I think at younger ages that is like a funny thing, kind of when you face when you face a really good friend. But throughout this year, I I got to face um, some Vanderbilt guys. I faced Austin Martin a, 
a bunch of times, one of my teammates, my freshman year at Vanderbilt. And it, it kind of just feels, if anything, more natural because you faced them before. I think some, for some, something like me to face Otani or Trout, that's guys that I've just been like, like they just seem like different different levels of human beings because of how how well they've done it um you know when I was in high school and and younger ages but the fact that like Anthony said we have a lot of at-bats against each other I think it's just it's just another thing it's like competing we get competitive when we're playing you know if we're playing horse and in our school gymnasium we get competitive so I think in the moment it's just a competitive thing obviously you know he wants to hit a ball hard and I want to get him out and after the game I think it would be uh, really special, and probably before the game too. It'd be awesome. All right, but who's the better horse player? Now I gotta know that. <laughs> <laughs> I think me for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. We might have to get a <laughs> another horse game, but I I think I could take the pool table games. <laughs> yeah, but I have ping pong. We're we're just developing the entire like Olympics we're, now. We're I think building is what's going this rivalry. On. We're, that's yeah. what we're doing. We're building this friendly, long time rivalry. I dig it. <laughs> exactly. the, ping pool, the ping pong pool rivalry is definitely actually a thing. <laughs> All yes, right, guys. Well, before we can get to the moment where you guys are facing each other in the majors, you both have to get there. You're both closing in, being at Double A AA and Triple A. Um, so we'll end on this one. A- Anthony, starting with you as the person who's been at Triple A now, and you know, is is looking at a potential 2023 debut. What do you feel like are the finishing touches you need on your game to really prove to the Yankees, to you know, anybody watching that you are major league ready? I think it's it's everything. I, I don't wanna um even though like we were talking about short-term goals, that's obviously my huge short-term goal, but I just think my development ho- hopefully when I get called up, it, it doesn't stop there. There's still I'm 21 years old. I don't think there's any 21 year old, 22 year old, 23 year old that's reached their peak or reached their prime. So I just want to work on all parts of my game and, and really try and leave no stone unturned. And, and hopefully the day comes that I get called up. But like I said, that doesn't necessarily change anything with my mindset of always just trying to be better and trying to be that player that helps, helps win world series. And that's why I think, Jack and I and and all of our teammates are in it. So um, it's, it's, it's probably not the answer to say one thing that I need to work on. I just feel like um, as a player, I just always want to keep improving. Jack, what about you after, after getting a full season of double a ball under your belt? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's more about, it's more about cleaning some things up. I think I'm always working on cleaning things up mechanically and becoming more efficient and, and when I do that and continue to get stronger in the off season, it just always seems to be a little bit more effortless going into the next seasons. And, and I now know, you know, I know what the double a level is, is like, and I've seen guys get called up straight from double a that I've pitched against and um, whether played with faced and um, yeah, I, I just, know, I've learned a lot this year and I think putting that to work and seeing those results kind of come day by day is, is what I'm most looking forward to. Well, guys, this has been so much fun, uh, and I know we've taken up a bunch of your afternoon, and we can't thank you enough for giving us so much time. Top-ranked prospect in the New York Yankees organization, Anthony Volpe, the second-ranked prospect in the Texas Rangers system, Jack Leiter. Uh, I know Del Barton School and all of your friends and family and everybody else are 
are pretty damn proud of you guys. And uh, congrats on all the success so far. And thanks for giving us so much time today. We'll be we'll be watching uh, as the months roll along and you get closer to the big leagues. And, and do yourselves a favor and enjoy the offseason because I know it's been a long year. So enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A huge thanks to our nationwide Road to the Show ambassadors, Anthony Volpe and Jack Leiter, for joining us today. That was a lot of fun. That was a very cool conversation to get to have with those two guys. And uh, we move along and are joined by our... uh, our true northern star in the business of minor league baseball world, Benjamin Hill, who joins us. Who says northern star? North star. Hi, Ben. Well, a north star would by default be northern, probably the true. northmost star. And um, I don't know how the geography plays out right now, but I might be the northernmost person on this podcast. No, Sam's in Manhattan right now. He's further north than me. Yeah, sorry. I don't know if you you want to call me a star, though. Yeah, sorry. So you are the, yeah. Oh, I do. I always want to. Okay. <laughs> um, well, Ben, it's a it's a quiet time of year. Minor league uh, season has come to a close. Front offices usually just sort of shut down for uh, a little while, give um, their their office members a chance to breathe and relax and uh, and recuperate from the minor league season. Um, so, with that, obviously a, a quiet time of year on the business front, but. There is a a big business item looming in minor league baseball. Now, we can't say a ton about this. We can't ruin all of the surprise and the excitement. But minor league baseball and Marvel entering a partnership. What can you tell us about this? It's a minor league-wide initiative, which is not the easiest thing to put together. Yeah, well, you probably know. Well, you do know from last year uh, there were, uh, you know, Marvel promotional partnerships uh, across the industry, industry industry-wide. Uh, you know, but that was with teams, um, you know, suiting up in uniforms inspired by certain Marvel characters, you know, Black Panther and uh, who are some of the others, Captain America. And it uh, <laughs> shows how much I know about comics. I've written so many of them down in my promo spreadsheet. And now I'm like, oh, Marvel. Um, but there were superhero uh, Marvel promotions all across uh a baseball last year with theme jerseys and some uh, bobbleheads as well. Um, and uh, so that was the first step. And now uh, tomorrow, Thursday, um, by the time you're listening to this podcast on Friday, uh, there'll be a whole new phase to that partnership. Um, and you've probably seen some teasers, you know, on the, on social media, on Melbourne, a lot of team uh, websites and uh, social media as well. Uh for perhaps a more individualized uh, Marvel experience uh, at, at ballparks across the country. And so um, it's basically phase two of, uh, of this partnership. And it's worth pointing out too, that, you know, prior to Marvel being a direct partner with minor league baseball, you know, teams did what minor league teams do for a lot of years. They would have promotions that were clearly inspired by superheroes and Marvel superheroes, 
but they couldn't really directly reference the properties. And, um, you know, so there was sort of some gray area and kind of dancing around it and then, you know, an increasing desire or need to stay away from it entirely. And then, uh, you know, getting that sort of partnership together, um, you know, on an industry level obviously takes a lot of work uh, by a lot of people to coordinate all that. And uh, we saw a kick in the gear last year and uh, what's coming up this year is uh, going to be more exciting. Yeah, we should say there, there are 96 teams here that are going to be participating in this and, and getting kind of Marvelized logos. They're, the rollout is kind of slowly coming out. Um, there are a few on Thursday. There are a few more on Friday. And they'll slowly be building out uh, over the next couple of days. Um, but as, as Tyler kind of mentioned there, Ben, like we've seen Copa take off recently, uh, but there usually aren't that many mill-wide initiatives. These are kind of difficult to get dozens and dozens of teams on, on board to do this one thing uh you know is this you mentioned this being phase two of the marvel thing it feels like there's really been a groundswell in the last couple of years to get everybody on board for um you know promotions like this that can go mill wide yeah i mean i think it's something too with um you know the reorganization of minor league baseball and mlb taking more of a direct control um you know more of a push and uh, maybe more resources to uh to lead top-down initiatives that, that every team can jump on. So I, I do think it's something we'll probably see more of in the future. You know, I'm all for, we've always talked about, you know, a lot of, in a lot of ways, the basis for my whole career has been, you know, this is, it's a steal, steal this idea industry. Um, so on one hand, you know, ideas taking off across the industry are, are nothing new, but I think, and it still will continue to happen in an organic way with a lot of things where one team does something and another team picks it up. But we also might see it going from the other direction now with more of a top-down buy-in as well, in addition to the traditional bottom-up and growing uh, nature that, that a lot of promotions have. I think there's, you know, there's room for both of them. But when you also, when you have a template uh, that can be established and followed at the local level, you know, with with local specifics across the board, you know, a lot of times that is the a best of both worlds situation in which you have some you have something that's repeatable, where you know a lot of your assets are already provided, um, but you you can also customize it to make it your own. So you know, I think um, you know that works for a lot of teams, and it, it helps fill the dates on a lot of um, promotional schedules with um, you know kind of guaranteed big nights. Um, but on the on the whole, you know. I'm also always looking for that one, you know, kind of unique left field idea that that takes off in the opposite direction, you know, like a, a wildfire, so to speak, you know, one spark that 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 really blows up. Ben, we have uh, the dawn of a very interesting era in baseball that has come over the last couple of years with the rise of the Savannah Bananas, who are technically on on one hand are a collegiate summer league team, and on the other hand are really kind of becoming the baseball version of the Harlem Globetrotters. And uh, they announced their their tour schedule uh, for this upcoming stretch, which includes a lot of minor league ballparks. And it's really interesting because nobody else across baseball is attempting anything like this. And for a team that is, uh, you know, independent, not affiliated, playing in minor league parks is somewhat of a rarity. This is a fascinating arrangement. Yeah, Savannah Bananas, they came into existence after the Savannah Sand Nats relocated to Columbia and became the Fireflies. And, you know, the, the Sand Nats uh, relocated for one of the main reasons is because Grayson Stadium, you know, their home, was one of the oldest ballparks in minor league baseball. 
you know, was having trouble meeting facility standards. I'm sure, you know, today it flat out does not meet facility standards. Um, it was not a place for the long-term future of, of minor league baseball. And when the Sand Nats left, there was this feeling of, uh, you know, what, what's going to take, what's going to set up shop at Grayson Stadium? I mean, the Sand Nats weren't drawing well. Um, is this the end of the line for Grayson Stadium in terms of really being a viable uh, facility for baseball of any kind? And then what happened is not just is it viable, but it's become an explosion, uh, the Savannah Bananas. And so much of that is due to the style of baseball that the Bananas play and the team's promotional style. Um, you know, if you're listening to this right now, you, you're almost certainly familiar with the Savannah Bananas at this point, uh, led by Jesse Cole, who has been in the baseball world for a long time. I remember meeting him at industry events years ago when he was with the Gastonia Grizzlies and was always a creative risk-taking mind. And I think uh, once he got the chance to uh, to go to Savannah and just completely build that from the ground up, he built something that's now turned into a phenomenon uh, with so many aspects of the ballpark experience. Uh, you know, that, that go viral, so to speak, but that are also super fun, um, you know, at the ballpark itself. You know, they had Bill Lee at age 70, whatever, you know, pitching for the team this year, you know, really crazy walk off, uh, walk up music uh, and dances and routines, players riding onto the field and on, on horses, um, all sorts of just insane stuff. And it's not something that you now have to go to Savannah to enjoy. In the past, the team has done you know, some road games are kind of mentioned, hey, we're going to this ballpark for, you know, a road series. They've done this in the past where uh, I remember they picked uh, Hank Aaron Stadium in Mobile and said, hey, we're bringing the bananas here. And that was like a big deal. We're bringing them to a different place. But now it's a whole nother level. They announced the Banana Ball World Tour on uh, on Tuesday. And that includes minor league ballparks, you know, across the country throughout this Banana Ball World Tour schedule. And it starts, I believe, in February goes well into the summer and it's mostly weekend games. And obviously these are going to be dates when the minor league team in question is out of town. So now you have minor league baseball ballparks uh, hosting baseball for essentially a barnstorming Harlem Globetrotters esque summer collegiate team. And, you know, for all the time I've been you know, covering minor league baseball, uh, this kind of thing is, is not existed. And it shows just how popular the banana, bananas have, have become and the demand for the product they have that's, you know, that that they, they can now take it all around the country. And I almost guarantee you they're, they're going to get really big crowds for these games as well. And it does come with the caveat, and this is not an insult, it's just, you know, an, an apples to oranges sort of thing or an apples to bananas sort of thing or however you want to say it. Um, you know, a lot of what the bananas do just cannot exist in a minor league baseball world, you know, because for as, you know, zany and irreverent as minor league teams can be, have been when it comes to promotions, they cannot compromise, you know, the player development going on. The bananas can compromise that, <laughs> you know, they can do all sorts of stuff in game on the field throughout the entire time uh, that really does not have any sort of translatable option for, um, you know, for a minor league baseball team. So it, it provides a chance just to have a just a huge you know, blank slate to just say, how can we make literally every moment really fun and entertaining? You know, and I've seen some people say, like, are the Savannah Bananas like the future of baseball? And I think, like, no, I don't think so. Because if every team played all crazy and zany and the competitive aspect wasn't there, and how are you going to follow a bunch of teams playing like that 
as your primary baseball entertainment. I, I don't feel like it's that at all. I think what the Savannah Bananas are, are the Savannah Bananas. And is there now, I think, a possibility for other type teams to come about who adopt this style on a summer collegiate or particularly independent level? Yes. But, you know, it's 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 the same reason why the Harlem Globetrotters, the NBA never became a league of Harlem Globetrotter type things. I mean, I think at a certain at a certain point, you want to reduce the showmanship and the clowning around and have it just be the world's best athletes going at it. And you need the minor league baseball landscape to develop the world's best athletes and the major league baseball for them to actually play. So um, it's just a totally different style, a totally different thing. And I think it's going to be um, an interesting experiment to see them, you know, tour this all over the country for months at a time and uh, to expose so many more people to this style of play. I've still never actually seen a Savannah bananas game. So I'm going to try to make sure I do that. Uh, in 2023 in some capacity. And uh, I think this is something obviously we'll continue to cover, um, you know, hopefully have some guests related to this, uh, to the bananas, maybe get Jesse Cole on the podcast. Uh, hopefully again, we can hopefully attend some of these games and uh, report on the experience of what it's like at a minor league ballpark to see the bananas, but uh, a really unique thing. And um, if you didn't see their announcement, check it out, you know, on their website, uh, on Twitter, um, they're going to be all over the country uh, again, mostly weekend games. They're still playing, you know, a home schedule in Savannah, but they're going to be visiting places all over the country as well. Yeah, really looking forward to how teams embrace that and how that's going to be going town to town. I mean, we we mentioned Harlem Globetrotters, and it was the first thing that came to my mind as well. Um, but you also think about like all the barnstorming teams that used to exist. I mean, this used to be a big piece of baseball, especially in the off season. Um, guys like Babe Ruth going on barnstorming teams going to areas that didn't get to see their brand of baseball. Um, so taking the bananas out of Savannah and to places, you know, in the Northeast, in the Northwest, uh, I think will be really exciting. Uh, ben, before we let you go here real quick, um, another edition of the Ben's Beat uh, newsletter is out for people who are subscribed and other people can find it through other means. Uh, give us a little taste what's in the, the newsletter this week. Well, you know, I don't write about on-field stuff too often, but I, I, I'm leading off this one with, uh, you know, a roundup of kind of like the conversation we had last week, Sam, you know, of, of all the different, uh, every league-by-league champion in minor league baseball, because I think it's just helpful to put that all in one place and contextualize it a little bit, point out some fun facts, if you will, uh, now that everything is is said and done. And of course, it became said and done, as I'm sure you guys have talked about, and as our colleague, you know, Kelsey Hennigan was uh, on site, but um AAA National Championship wrapped everything up uh, on Sunday, November, October 3rd. We are not in November yet. Um, So now that we're finally officially in the offseason, a a look at every single champion throughout uh, minor league baseball in 2022, some fun facts about that. Uh, I'm always keeping the conversation going with, uh, you know, with the readers uh, sharing their favorite memories of the season. Josh Jackson, always interrupting the podcast encouraging you to listen to the ghost of the miners segment which uh is of course the highlight of every episode of this podcast uh etc cetera, etc cetera. and i've got like five things in the works right now um still finishing up some of uh, my leftover road trip stories but uh, a lot more to come next week and uh throughout the month of october kind of uh clearing out the slate on in-season content so yeah but right now boy kind of kind of dead time it's always like this around this time um you know you're just so immersed in the season that when it ends there's still a lot of things to get done, a lot of loose ends to tie up, but there is this a bit of a, a thud. You just kind of feel like, oh, whoa, that's over. 
all right, what's next? You know, so a little bit of a dead time, a little bit of a dead time, but we're going to get through it and we're going to get through it together. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz. He's on Instagram at the Ben's Biz. And uh, you can find all of his stuff, of course, at MILB.com. And thanks, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Tyler. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was in the ballpark. The others were nowhere close. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Pioneer Quartzers. B. The Rock Hill Rubies. C. The Pittsburgh Diamonds. Don't let the glinting in your eyes distract you because the correct answer is C. The Pittsburgh Diamonds. And DiMaggio was a central figure in the story of these diamonds, who played in the short-lived Class D Far West League. The DiMaggio in question was not Joe, the best hitter, nor Dominic, the best fielder, but Vincent, the best singer. He belted it out for the Pittsburgh Diamonds while also serving as their manager for the last three years of his career, from 1949 to 1951. Based in Pittsburgh, No H, California, the Diamonds were a charter member of the Far West League in 1948, but these Diamonds struggled to shine in their inaugural season. In fact, they had so many defects that by the last month of the campaign, they couldn't show their faces within 80 miles of their home ballpark. By early August, they relocated to the town of Roseville in order, as an Associated Press item put it, to remedy an empty feeling at the box office. But the diamonds were no sharper there, going into the books as victims of the Far West League's first no-hitter thrown by Bill LaThorpe of the Santa Rosa Pirates on August 5th and finishing the season 38-71 and 71 in last place. Yes, those diamonds were buried way down in the mine. But then came DiMaggio in the Diamonds, out of the mines, and back to the pits. Town in Contra Costa County were contra to every other team's chances of winning. The 49 team trounced the whole circuit, finishing the regular season with a league-best 84-63 record and steamrolling through the playoffs to put the Diamonds on the crown, or the crown on the Diamonds. Long they did not reign, though, as the Diamonds Club was in the middle of the deck for the next two seasons. In January of 1952, Far West League officials met in Redding, California, home of the 1951 champion Redding Browns, and called it quits, citing economic hardships for most of the Loops teams, as well as a shortage of available players due to the Korean War and the draft. An independent team, calling itself the Pittsburgh Diamonds, gave it a go in the Pacific Association beginning in 2014, but not even a handful of games featuring Jose Canseco over three years could bring the Diamonds back their luster. And that's how the Diamonds got cut. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams was a real specialist in the minors of yesteryear? 
A. The Kirksville Osteopaths B. The Beverly Hills Dermatologists C. The Hartsdale Cardiologists Want to know the answer? Get a referral. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is looking for fall foliage, and all I've got is saran wrap. Hey, big thanks to Josh Jackson for stopping by with Ghosts of the Miners, as always. Uh, that's it. No milk TV. Goodbye. No. Uh, <laughs> you can tune in the minor league playoffs, or major league playoffs, rather. And again, get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. Once we get into the offseason, I feel like we always get a good raft of questions of people who are kind of digesting what they saw in minor league baseball this year. So feel free to email anytime, podcast at MILB.com. You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. Uh, I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, yeah, I'll do it. Goodbye, Sam. Bye, everybody. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. For Sam Dyker, I'm Tyler Mon. See you then. Yeah.